This free program is paid for by the listeners of Redwood Community Radio. If you're not already a member, please think of joining us. Thank you. Phone 707-223-1569. And support for KMUD comes in part from the Stonery. They're in Garberville. Their second anniversary party is Friday, June 24th, noon to 7 p.m. with grilled all-beef hot dogs and drinks for lunch. Cooked by the South Fork Booster Club. Music from 3 to 7 with Trainwreck. There will be all-day-long silent auction and raffles to benefit South Fork High's Booster Club. And without further ado, we're going to bring you our evening's program, Ask Your Herb Doctor. Welcome to this month's Ask Your Herb Doctor. My name's Andrew Murray. My name's Sarah Johannesson Murray. Uh, for those of you who perhaps have never listened to our shows, which run every third Friday of the month from 7 till 8 p.m., we're both licensed medical herbalists who trained in England and graduated there with a degree in herbal medicine. We run a clinic in Garberville where we consult with clients about a wide range of conditions, and we manufacture all our own certified organic herb extracts, which are either grown on our CCOF certified herb farm or which are sourced from other USA organic certified organic suppliers. So you're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor, KMUD Garberville 91.1 FM, and from 7.30 until the end of the show at 8 o'clock, uh, you're all invited to call in with any questions, either related or unrelated to this month's topic, a mixed topic of uh, endotoxin, stress and depression uh, and how the body is affected physiologically um, and we're very pleased to have Dr. Raymond Pete join us on the show this evening uh, and like I said from 7.30 or in fact if people want to call a little earlier than that if they have uh, pressing questions yeah please please do uh, phone up and Dr. Pete's available with his uh, collective wisdom to answer questions on many different subjects, maybe not just pertinent to this evening's uh, discussion on endotoxin and stress. Um, so, Dr. Pete, uh, thank you for joining us again this evening. Yeah, hi. Um, as always, there's people, I'm sure, who've just tuned in now who've maybe never heard the show and uh, never heard you. So, uh, would you be able to let people know uh, your specific interests and your professional academic background? Uh, yeah, I, I studied uh, biology at the University of Oregon, and uh, my dissertation was on aging of the oxidative processes in relation to reproduction and uh, how how the hormones change with aging and and uh, affect the 
efficiency of oxidative metabolism. And uh, the um, main hormones that I've studied over the years uh, have related directly to um, estrogen, progesterone, and thyroid. And the um, nutritional and environmental factors that influence those and uh, how all of the uh, minor hormones and signaling substances in the body are interrelated uh, between the environment and those uh, hormones and the respiratory energy production. Okay, well, thank you for that. Um, so if people um, want to call in, the number here is uh, KMUD923-3911, uh, the area code 707. And so from 7.30 till the end of the show at 8 o'clock, people are welcome to call in. Now, Dr. P, I know that you have a rather unique um, view of physiology and biology, which is um, different somewhat to the scientific, we'll call it the regular scientific, because I know you're... Um, your methodology is very scientific, but the regular biological community uh, and the way that they've done their research or their research has been funded uh, by various organizations has led, um, has led them to be a little bit uh, inaccurate in their perceptions of how cellular or biological systems are operating. Um, in terms of in terms of the uh, body, I think probably what we want to try and go through this evening are uh, just to reiterate some of the um, some of the uh, problems associated uh, with the modern diet, modern nutrition, how we've been misled into believing that certain things are good for us. And I know we're going to talk about um, serotonin this evening. Um, but in terms of uh, what you've been researching, what you found out, what you've applied, um, Will you tell us a little bit about serotonin's effects? Because uh, I think most people would associate serotonin with something positive, and I know that it's not. Um, yeah, the, um, since about uh, the Second World War, uh, biology has been uh, heavily influenced by uh, several factors. The agricultural industry is interested in uh, promoting certain ideas towards foods. Mm -hmm. uh, the pharmaceutical industry right. is promoting a, a very mechanical reductionist uh, interpretation of health in general mm -hmm. uh, based on the idea of receptors and uh, genetic uh, interaction with specific uh, hormones and receptors and drugs. And then there's the uh, government and uh, military orientation that uh, has its uh, commitment to certain kinds of, of psychology and science, uh, promoting, uh, again, the reductionist, uh, uh, anti-holistic, uh, anti-pattern-oriented kind of science. So that's why our agricultural USDA recommended daily intake of uh, refined carbohydrates or, um, you know, breads and pastas and those types of foods. It was was six to seven servings per day, and that was the bottom of the triangle. Um, and you can see that they are actually having their effect. Uh, the mm -hmm. In the last 35 years, the consumption of flour and cereals, pasta and so on, 
has increased by 3%, just as the Agriculture Department put in their triangle. It, it should be a fat bottom on the triangle. And uh, So they've influenced, the agriculture area has influenced the government's recommended daily intake, where if you look at diets from 80 to 100 years ago, the grains were not such a major part of the diet. Yeah, and in these last 35 years, well, uh, cereals and fats have increased. Cereals are up 3%, fats are up 7%. During that time, meat, eggs, and dairy have decreased mm. 3%, and uh, added sugar has even decreased 1% in these 35 years. And uh, where many people think that... Uh, Nutrition research should be exploratory, looking for uh, new ways that foods interact with the newly discovered uh, biological possibilities. The financing is heavily towards industrial food products as nutrients rather than exploring, for example, the thousands of fruits and vegetables that grow in the tropics. Right. Well, the, uh, our our country doesn't grow those, so we therefore we shouldn't eat them and shouldn't <laughs> shouldn't eat them. Yeah, that happened with the uh, the coconut oil industry, which was used widely in products, uh, Oreo cookies and and fried foods and so on from the uh, about the 1850s on, uh, when the soy oil got tired of competition, uh, they put out tremendous propaganda starting 20 years ago. Uh, saying that the tropical oils were poisonous. Hmm. And what they did was increase the consumption of their unsaturated fats. And now heart disease and high cholesterol and... Yeah, and obesity uh, related to high blood pressure, cancer, and and dementia. And diabetes have all been on increase. Yeah, and, and these are known to be increased by unsaturated fats and cereals and starches exactly the things the government has promoted. Well, hopefully a lot of our listeners don't listen to what the government promotes around here anyways. (laughs) I think they don't. (laughs) Okay, well, getting back to serotonin, Dr. P, um, like I said, I think most people think mistakenly that serotonin's good for you, and they said people that constantly in the past asked us, um, about serotonin and that it'd be a good, good for sleep and good for this and good for that. And, What's uh, what's the truth behind serotonin so people can realize what what they've been doing or what they need to stop? Uh, well, an example of, of how confused the uh, promotion has been is that one of the major antidepressants that's called a, a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor that supposedly acts by increasing serotonin, they knew that it was a good, effective treatment for vicious dogs and uh, they said that that's because it increases their serotonin but people studying the dogs after a a month of treatment with this SSRI uh, found that in fact they were less vicious and their serotonin had gone down significantly (laughs) so So it it didn't increase their serotonin it actually decreased their serotonin yeah, yeah I think the antidepressants that work are actually, in the long run, uh, shifting the balance away from serotonin. But 
it doesn't matter now because the perception is out that serotonin is the good guy and you take these antidepressants and it increases the good guy and you feel better. Uh, yeah, where uh, there over the last 40 years, there have been many papers published showing that the, uh, oh, starting back with the LSD research, they saw that LSD counteracted the effects of serotonin on smooth muscle, and then finally they showed an antagonistic effect uh, where it inhibits the serotonin nerves in the brain. Uh, so every place that they checked its function as an actual uh, an antidote to serotonin, um, it was uh, opposing serotonin and was improving functions such as learning ability, uh, uh, many physical symptoms, anti-tumor and, and uh, anti-inflammatory, many, many good health functions, but because of the government campaign against uh, LSD-type drugs, uh, the drug companies came out with some modified forms of lysergic acid, such as bromocryptine and lysuride, and some anti-serotonin drugs that were known to lower serotonin, but they advertised them as uh, pro-dopamine drugs rather than mm -hmm. anti-serotonin or um, as um, even antihistamine in the case of one, which was really primarily an anti-serotonin drug. But uh, they uh, took advantage of the government campaign against the anti-serotonin drugs to say that uh, the uh, psychedelic drugs made people insane and so that they started promoting the idea that their drugs would make people sane and happy by increasing serotonin. So that's how it began. Yeah. Gosh. I know you've mentioned, and if you could just explain a little bit again to our, our listeners, I know you've mentioned the fact that um, uh, serotonin primarily is uh, produced in the bowel. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a defensive <coughs> chemical everywhere. It's one of the primitive uh, protective reactions, for example, in the bowel. It uh, causes spasms that clean out the bowel when you eat something poisonous, and so it causes diarrhea, and that's okay. protective. Right. But in the process, if it keeps up too long, uh, it increases the serotonin, 95% of it being produced in the bowel, and uh, only uh, 3, 4, 5% in other organs such as the brain. Uh, if, if the irritation of the bowel keeps up very long, the uh, uh, circulation in the bloodstream uh, becomes a, a problem systemically, and it, it will cause vascular spasms, uh, vascular leakiness, inflammation. Uh, for example, when you have uh, prolonged irritation of the intestine, uh, tumors begin to promote uh, serotonin release, starting mainly in the, the uh, appendix. The uh, lower part of the bowel hmm. is where it's most likely to be overproduced. And that systemic effect hits the uh, right side of the heart primarily uh, and uh, then the reason it is worse 
for the right side of the heart mm-hmm. is that the lungs have the uh, enzymes that destroy serotonin. Okay. Uh, so the platelets pick it up from the intestine in the bloodstream and carry it to the lungs where if they're working, uh, they can uh, pretty much destroy all of the serotonin arriving in the lungs. Okay. But the right side not? Uh, yeah, if, yeah, if the lungs fail to detoxify it, then mm-hmm. uh, the, the whole body can be affected, but the right side is where it goes first uh, and is pumped from the right side into the lungs. Uh, so the right side gets it in its crude form, and then the rest of the body, if your lungs are, are efficient, mm-hmm. the rest of the body has a much lower level. Mm-hmm. So what symptoms would somebody experience if they do have elevated serotonin leaking from their intestines and then going and uh, acting on the right side of the heart before the lungs inactivated it? Um, fibrous uh, deterioration of the valves on the right side of the lungs and ultimately uh, uh, pulmonary artery hypertension. Hmm. And okay. uh, surprisingly, uh, the lung has uh, some processes that seem the opposite of what we usually think of for antioxidants. Uh, peroxide formed in the lungs uh, by uh, basically a, a, what seems to be a toxic oxygen reaction. Peroxide helps to destroy the serotonin in the lungs, so it has a very uh, specific uh, use of free radicals, and that seems to be how uh, negatively ionized air uh, helps to uh, relieve asthma and uh, many physiological problems and improves mood uh, because it uh, helps to destroy serotonin in the lungs. Okay, so pulmonary artery hypertension, that's one of the side effects then of uh, increased serotonin. Um, yeah, that's, that's where it got its name, is uh, from toning up the, the circulatory system. Yeah, huh, okay. Well, we want to talk about different foods and uh, things you can do to try to decrease the bowel's production of serotonin, but... Okay, well, you're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor on KMUD Garberville 91.1 FM. Uh, and from any time really from now until the end of the show at 8 o'clock, people are encouraged to call in with any questions they may have. Dr. Raymond Peets uh, uh, with us today, and uh, he's talking about uh, serotonin, uh, dietary changes, uh, endotoxin production, and stress, and how the uh, medical establishment perhaps have had uh, research done that's uh, skewed, if you like, uh, to mention the word skewed in the direction of the uh, funding uh, funding party. So the number here, if you live in the area, is uh, 923-3911, or if you live outside the uh, number here, it's 1-800-KMUD-RAD. Okay, so Dr. P, uh, you were mentioning the uh, effects of serotonin, and specifically you mentioned the uh, pulmonary artery hypertension. So uh, on once, one, okay, so if, if a patient had asthma, or a client had asthma, and constipation, say, or... Um, or diarrhea. Or diarrhea, yeah. rather. Yeah, diarrhea. Irritable, yeah. irritable bowel syndrome <coughs> is a typical high estrogen, high serotonin problem. Have, have there been any, uh, any conditions associated with uh, the um, pulmonary side 
that would normally not be present in a healthy, well, I say healthy person, but somebody who had uh, a good oxidative metabolism and their lungs were deactivating serotonin. Would, would there, are there any pulmonary changes that might happen in um, patients? That? Yeah, the best established are the asthma symptoms mm. uh, and the pulmonary artery hypertension, but I think uh, probably the emphysema category uh, where you get thickening right. of the um, diffusion pathway between the, the membrane cells on the surface between the uh, lung sacs and the capillaries. Right. Uh, lactic acid and serotonin are closely connected. One increases the other. And uh, it's known that high lactic acid uh, from too much exercise uh, causes many athletes to uh, chronically have a, uh, an increased pathway for diffusion so that their blood leaves the lungs uh, less perfectly oxygenated than a, a person with lower serotonin and lactate. So, and also with um, asthmatics, it's very common that if they can remove the food that they're allergic to or that's irritating their intestine, then their asthma goes away. Yeah, yeah that's um, the um, <coughs> direct effect of the serotonin on the con contraction of the smooth muscles in the uh, bronchial tubes. Uh, uh, that seems to be where the <coughs> negatively ionized air can immediately help by destroying the serotonin faster. I read in an, in an article here the, uh, that, that in the olden days, and perhaps we, we can bring the question up a little bit about purgatives, because <laughs> that's always been something in herbal medicine, um, from Culpeper on, and prior to Culpeper from, from the very beginning of herbal medicine in Greece, the, um, the, the administration of purgatives um, was very important. And so... Uh, so to basically uh, unstop people with constipation was looked at as a prime importance in treating inflammatory disorders. And um, I know that uh, you've quoted that an inf inflammation of the bowel used to be a pretty well recorded uh, and quite frequently as a cause of death in older people, but is seldom referred to now, if, it, if at all. Um, so in terms of serotonin, that would, have, that would have a bearing with that inflammatory bowel uh, situation on autopsy or oh yeah, yeah. Um, when I worked in the hamster lab uh, we saw that the old animals practically always uh, when they seemed to be dying of old age were having a bowel inflammation uh -huh. and I looked up a lot of uh, 19th century cases and it was a very popular uh, diagnosis of, of death right. at that time right. well, and it's also interesting in our herbal pharmacopoeias you know I'd say Definitely over 50% of the herbs that have been traditionally used and, you know, passed down and the information on what conditions to use them for are either laxatives or purgatives or collagogs that work on the liver or just herbs that help to restore normal bowel function. A lot of the herbs that are in the pharmacopoeias are purgatives, are, are directed at the bowel and treating that and that was you know traditionally a very very important place because that's where we interact with yeah. our environment right. so how, how important do you see bowel health <coughs> to general systemic health um probably uh, it's the central thing that everyone should uh, think about more because it uh, the connection can be traced pretty directly to 
Alzheimer's disease and other dementias mm-hmm. and uh, liver disease, heart disease, arthritis. Uh, they've known for many years that uh, uh, various types of arthritis are alleviated by prolonged fasting uh, because of uh, the relief uh, of the inflammation in the intestine when a person just stops eating for a while. <laughs> but uh, the laxatives and purgatives are really uh, the um, more practical, ongoing way to to prevent that uh, chronic inflammation. Uh, starches and uh, indigestible fibers have been tested on various animals, from horses to to rats, and uh, the um, practically uh, all of the fibers that are used as food additives. Uh, carrageenan and guar gum, various other gums, uh, oat bran, uh, and even some of the uh, semi-synthetic things, metamucil, um, agar, and psyllium, mm-hmm. uh, all have been identified as, as carcinogens for the intestine and possibly other organs. And uh, uh, getting those out quickly before they... Uh, support bacterial growth. And ferment. Yeah. The fermentative bacteria are known to um, increase the serotonin and lactic acid production. And the endotoxin that yeah. and we've mentioned. There's a back and forth uh, increase of endotoxin by the serotonin and, and uh, vice versa. And just for our listeners, endotoxin is something that bacteria produce in response to digesting these uh, indigestible, fermentable starches. Yeah, and all of these, uh, both serotonin and uh, endotoxin, increase other factors such as carbon monoxide, surprisingly. Uh, that's another of our uh, short-term primitive defensive systems is mm. the oxidation of the heme molecule, and that releases uh, carbon monoxide that uh, is... Uh, protective in some ways in the short term, uh, but in the long range, it's known to be uh, closely associated with uh, Alzheimer's disease, cancer, uh, brain injury, uh, many kinds of tissue injury, and it uh, activates the conversion of polyunsaturated fats to the inflammatory prostaglandins and uh, all of these tend to release more of the free fatty acids, so it becomes a vicious circle of uh, starch, serotonin, uh, endotoxin, and so on. What what would you have to say about the, uh, oh gosh, people talk about dietary fiber. What's your your take on dietary fiber and what is important? Um, The two that I have run across in the literature literature and experimentation are raw carrots and cooked bamboo shoots. Okay. And these don't support uh, bad bacteria? Because it's all about bad bacteria. Yeah, they yeah. are antiseptic or antibiotic in themselves. Right. Uh, uh, they, you can store them for a surprisingly long time where other vegetables uh, tend to rot if you store them in a wet condition. But mm-hmm. Uh, carrots are used to living in moist soil, and, and so they can kill the uh, fungus and bacteria. 
And so, just as a side note, with um, hand towels, you know, in the kitchen that you dry your hands on, they make these bamboo fiber towels. And everybody knows, like, if you have a cotton towel, after one day of it getting used pretty much all day long, it, it doesn't smell too nice by the next day. Because <laughs> it's, I guess it's because it's supporting bacterial growth. But the bamboo towels, it's amazing. They don't uh, tend to smell as bad the next day. Um, yeah, the, I don't think all of the chemicals have been identified. It's partly that their cellulose uh, is... Um, very resistant to bacterial breakdown in itself, but um, it, it doesn't have things like pectin, which pectin does support uh, some of the bad bacterial growth and fermentation. And uh, the so-called soluble fibers in beans and other legumes uh, support bacterial and toxin production. Well, why do you th- why do you think it is that the uh, the whole industry? Uh, both the uh, medical industry and the agricultural industry has been so keen to push dietary fiber down the necks of people in terms of all those dietary fibers that we talk about that we're telling people that really they should be avoiding. When traditionally we, we ate a very low fiber diet from, I mean, a low fiber diet from grains. I mean, we would have eaten our fruits and vegetables, but. Um, the um, fibers like the um, acacia and guar gum and uh, these things are very convenient for food processing. Carrageenan is now very widely used. They can increase the weight of meat by as much as 30% by injecting this water-retaining gum. Uh, And it's used instead of cream for making ice cream. Uh So it it has a very long shelf life where if you used a good... Uh, cream or, or coconut oil, uh, you could get uh, a very fine texture that would last a long time. But uh, it, it's just a matter of the cheapness of right. carrageenan and, and these other gums. So just to cover um, some of the other starches, traditionally we would have eaten potatoes and uh, South America ate a lot of masa, which is been partially digested so what can we do dr pete with the grains or if thinking about how tradition has eaten starches and Uh, and and coped with it dennis burkett who sort of started the fiber fad about 30 years ago uh, when he discovered that uh, africans didn't have a very high incidence of bowel and liver cancer and that they tended to have three bowel movements per day where Americans are more likely to have one or fewer. Uh, And he uh, said that he thought fiber uh, prevented uh, the the, uh, retention of the carcinogenic toxins. But uh, he was talking primarily about potatoes. And when he came to the U.S. and saw that people were uh, interpreting it as oat fiber, oat bran, and uh, uh, various other grain fibers, uh, a few people outside the U.S. did research showing that, in fact, those increase cancer incidence. So if, if someone were to eat, you know, root vegetables and boil them very, very well, this helps to uh, break down the starch so it doesn't provide very much food for the bacteria and saturated fats such as coconut oil and butter 
put on the starches helps to inhibit the growth of the bacteria. So mashed potatoes with uh, lots of coconut oil and some butter for flavor, or if you need to gain weight, lots of butter. Yeah, and it happens that uh, phosphate, which you get in the grains, uh, this might really be a part of why the the fiber is carcinogenic from grains, because uh, seeds and grains and nuts are so rich in phosphorus, and phosphate uh, stimulates the breakdown of, of these uh, soluble or, or indigestible fibers by bacteria, and calcium blocks that uh, phospholysis of the fibers by bacteria. And so a high, cancer, uh, high calcium, low phosphate diet uh, goes with saturated fats in suppressing the, uh, the toxic effects of the starches. And what about for minting grains, you know, like traditional sour bread, sourdough bread? Yeah, that digests it. The longer it digests, the more it turns into a sprout. And uh, the sprout is is basically a little sugar and mostly uh, uh, proteins and water, where the starch is mostly uh, indigestible proteins and uh, starches with a high phosphate content. While we're talking about phosphorus and calcium, I was looking uh, on the web today, uh, doing a little bit of preparation for today, and I couldn't believe an article written by uh, a research, no, not a research professor, they they were a medical doctor, but they were specializing in a certain area, and they seemed to have an air of credibility about them, but they were really putting down the need for calcium and also reducing uh, the need or the international units for vitamin D, I think they were only quoting about 400 IU or four to 600 IU uh, for vitamin D when I know we've heard and you've mentioned two to four to 6,000 IUs of vitamin D. And um, the calcium intake, they were trying to say that actually more is not better when I think most people's intake of calcium is fairly low given the traditional sources. And I know that you would uh, defend the uh, increase in dietary calcium as being very pro um, or anti-inflammatory, being very uh, very coiling. Yeah, I was thinking about the diet uh, traditionally of the Maasai and uh, related tribes in uh, the high altitudes of Africa. And uh, they, uh, at least for half the year when the cows are producing milk, uh, often drink, uh, oh, five to ten liters of milk a day it isn't exceptional. And uh, so they're getting uh, 5,000 milligrams of calcium and more very often. And uh, they uh, don't suffer from uh, usual degenerative diseases. I think this doctor, sorry to interrupt you, I think this doctor was talking about, oh, the problems of calcification, of, you know, it's higher, when you have a high calcium diet, you know, the chances of getting calcified, um, you know, arteries, etc. Well, that's uh, something way back uh, in 1940s and 50s. Uh, uh, Adele Davis reviewed it in her books uh, that doctors consistently get it wrong. They think mechanically that if you eat more calcium, you're going to uh, calcify your kidneys and arteries. Mm-hmm. And it's been known very consistently uh, for 60 years, roughly, that uh, when you're low in calcium and or vitamin D or vitamin K, 
your parathyroid hormone increases, okay. and uh, it helps to increase it from from any food calcium that's in your intestine. But it, uh, when that isn't adequate, the parathyroid hormone uh, it, it's increased by high phosphate, but it takes calcium out of the bones okay. uh, to balance the phosphate and puts it into the arteries and kidneys. And so the surest way to uh, guarantee calcification of, of your brain and, and heart and arteries and uh, kidneys is to um, have a high phosphate, low, uh, low calcium, low vitamin K and vitamin D diet. Perhaps that study was funded by the producers of Fosamax or those other drugs because they know that if people aren't getting their calcium and vitamin D at adequate levels that they will have more bone disease and heart disease. And some of the biggest, we have a caller on the line, but very quickly, some of the biggest source of uh, dietary phosphorus is uh, legumes, isn't it? Beans and peas? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we have a caller on the line, so you're on the air? Hi, yes, and and for just that reason, um, I've always just chosen to intake in moderation because what kills you one week is the fountain of youth the next week it seems <laughs> from these studies so uh, it seems that uh, having a little bit of everything and not too much of anything is probably the best answer uh, and as far as food pyramids i've never eaten one the closest thing to that maybe is a tortilla chip with that shape but i always chewed it up first because that shape's hard to swallow <laughs> um, my questions are about uh, serotonin i always learn a lot from you dr pete and I was always under the impression that serotonin was mainly a brain chemical. Um, but since you mentioned its effect on the digestive system, I'm wondering what the counteraction or uh, interaction of melatonin would be in comparison to serotonin. And also, is alcohol considered an endotoxin? And what foods may actually cause alcohol to be created within the gut? I've heard that people can actually get somewhat intoxicated from alcohol by eating certain foods which ferment within the gut, especially good to know since there's a DUI checkpoint in Humboldt County somewhere this weekend. And I'll take your response off the air. Thanks for the program. Okay, thank you for your call. Okay, so what part of the questions we want to go for? Um, uh, if a person has very sluggish uh, digestion, uh, it only happens occasionally, but uh, uh, yeast can grow so freely if the intestine is sluggish and the uh, uh, membrane immune cells are weak uh, that uh, the uh, overgrowth of yeast can turn uh, sugars into alcohol. And some people stay drunk all the time when they have yeast that are able to live in the upper part of the intestine or even in the stomach. So then would those people, if they drank alcohol, would they feel even more drunk more yeah. quickly? Yeah. Do they already have a baseline level? Sorry. Yeah. And uh, that tends to increase the carbon monoxide. Uh, that's the, the toxic part of it. The alcohol itself in those small amounts, chronically, they might be mildly drunk, but uh, it, that isn't probably as harmful as, as the fact that carbon monoxide is increased by the alcohol. Uh, that's one of the problems with uh, uh, drinking any sort of alcohol chronically. It, it tends to push up carbon monoxide production. And uh, one of the problems with carbon monoxide, besides blocking uh, oxidative metabolism, 
just like when you're poisoned by external carbon monoxide, the enzyme that makes the carbon monoxide releases iron and iron deposits in the, in the brain and, and uh, liver and other places with a toxic effect. And arteries. Yeah. So how about the connection between uh, serotonin and melatonin? I know he asked that as his uh, first, um, first question. The, it's clear for a long time that the pineal gland is uh, converting serotonin to melatonin, uh, and it's activated by adrenaline during stress. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it's uh, generally seen to have this uh, reaction to adrenaline, and uh, it has opposite effects from serotonin. So I think of it even in the brain as a detoxifying system against mm -hmm. serotonin, and people studying uh, rheumatoid arthritis and heart disease uh, see the same, uh, and I think uh, breast cancer was another area where you see the enzyme that is able to convert serotonin into melatonin. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's probably uh, defensive against uh, these inflammatory uh, carcinogenic and degenerative effects of serotonin. Yeah. Would you, would you consider that it would be uh, useful to uh, supplement with melatonin? Um, I, I think it, it, it has its uh, anti-inflammatory effects, but I think it's much better to work at the other end. Oh, yeah. Especially it unnecessary by reducing your tryptophan intake, yeah. for example, Good. and reducing the starches and inflammation-producing things. Okay, good. And anything that irritates the intestine is going to cause the intestine to produce more serotonin as yeah. well. Yeah, including uh, unsaturated fatty acids. Which are all the vegetable oils. I know we have another two callers on the line, so... Actually, uh, one of them was me. Okay. I was going to ask, when you get your stomach all in knots from either love or fear or stress or whatever, is there serotonin being released, or what's the biochemical basis of that, if you knew? In what? When you, um, our Emotions. programmer here yeah. said that when you're um, in love or you're really stressed and your stomach gets tied in knots, is, oh. there, is serotonin involved in tying uh, your stomach in knots, or is it well, adrenaline? Or? Under some conditions, yeah, um, it it's the thing that causes stress ulcers. Uh, the main thing, I think, that causes stress ulcers, like the immobilized rats experimentally with, will quickly get intestinal uh, bleeding and stomach ulcers. Uh, and if they're allowed to defend themselves in some way, even though they're still restrained, uh, they can uh, block that stress reaction and lower the serotonin. And the restraint, the way they were able to defend themselves was biting on a stick. Yeah. yeah interesting experiment because it's, uh, it's, it's a very good uh, illustration of uh, that ability to defend yourself. Yeah, I, I think of that as analogous to the two types of muscle exercise, <coughs> uh, the uh, concentric so-called exercise where you're uh, basically walking uphill and shortening the muscles under force, and eccentric, where your muscles are stretching against the attempt to contract them, like walking downhill that makes your muscles sore. And I think of the uh, ability to bite the stick <laughs> as the, the same as doing concentric, concentric. exercise. Yeah. <laughs> They've shown that old people with 
uh, very damaged uh, mitochondria in their muscles, uh, two or three weeks of doing concentric exercises, mm-hmm. only shortening the muscles under mm-hmm. uh, resistance, uh, that they can repair or create new functional mitochondria in their muscles. Wow. And I think that same sort of thing happens in the nervous system when you can do something uh, protective or constructive. Now, I wonder, just on a side note, would uh, would that um, the anabolic exercise of perhaps uh, curling dumbbells? I mean, that would be uh, a concentric. Uh, yeah, yeah, mostly. Yeah. So, other other um, weightlifting exercises that when you're stationary. Yeah, the machines that they have machines that will yeah. uh, let you put force while shortening your muscles and then let you relax yeah. as the arm or leg goes back into position. Yeah, because these don't destroy the muscle fibers so much as the uh, eccentric. Okay, there's, I think there's two more callers on the line, so let's take the next caller. Oh, hello, is that me? Yes, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Hi, is that, you're is that on, me? Yes, you're on, yep, you're on the air. Okay, I, I was driving, so I couldn't call when you were talking about weed and people, uh, you know, having so much refined uh, grains and so on. I'm an old guy, and I was on the farm in the 30s and 40s. And the wheats that were grown then, well, the wheat that's grown now by big agribusiness since World War II, particularly in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, has a, almost 90% more uh, gluten, uh, it's, which is a, a lectin. Uh, lectin, lectin, I don't know how to say it. And uh, that's one of the problems because um, you go to the restaurants and stores and they got gluten-free this and gluten-free that, you know, put bread and all. And But the reason is, back in Grandpa's day, we didn't have so much uh, problem with gluten because the grains, they, they've been breeding to have more gluten in the brains, in the grains. At one point I worked for uh, General Mills in Minneapolis and I learned a lot about it from, the, from that point of view. It... it it makes the breads and the pizza dough and all that stick together better. But I think the doctor knows what I mean when I'm talking about those lectins or lectins, which are a plant protein, which protect the plant, the seed of the plant. They're a sticky protein. They make up part of the plant's natural immune system. But when you <laughs> have a high amount of these lectins, and they're in a lot of the foods, not just wheat, but all sorts of stuff, beans, dairy, eggs. And when you eat these lectin-containing foods, your body can't digest or eliminate those proteins. But you see, in the plant world, they protect the these lectins to protect the plant from harm. Uh, for instance, the pumpkin seed is surrounded by this sticky protein, these lectins, and they, and they fight off enemy invaders, mold, parasites, and so on. But when they get in your body, they don't know they're in your body. And they, they travel the, through your digestive tract, get into your bloodstream, and they're looking for a fight. Because by nature, they're designed to attach themselves to sugar molecules. That's plant defensive. former plant protectors, and now they're in your body, and they're raising a lot of problems. Because you've got sugar molecules that are healthy in your cells and your digestive tract and everything, and they're attacking that. And that's why there's so much uh, problem with people having digestive problems and they're 
they're allergic to the the, the modern uh, uh, agribusiness wheat and uh, and the plants are forced by agricultural chemicals and uh, well, there's that too and stuff unless you can get some uh, organic grains. But anyway, these there is a way. Uh, there is it. You can. I'm taking something uh, uh, which contains sacrificial sugars, which are decoys that attach to the lectins, and so your cellular sugars are protected. And uh, that's working out for me. I just came onto that this last year, and I don't. I'm, I'm not having the uh, the inflammation and the, and problems in my digestive system that I used to have. I, I wondered if the doc could. Uh, address that a little more articulately than I can. Um, yeah, there are um, a lot of defensive chemicals, many different kinds. Uh, for example, bananas are extremely allergenic, probably because of their intensive uh, production in poor soils that uh, they're overproducing uh, according to the plant's own preference and so the plant produces more defensive chemicals. Uh, and even the polyunsaturated fats in seeds uh, are known to have a specific uh, effect against uh, digestive enzymes and add to the absorption of the uh, lectins and uh, more specific uh, immune-disrupting uh, chemicals. But ordinary sugars... Uh, Sucrose, for example, has a tremendously protective effect uh, in uh, resisting all of these inflammation-producing factors from uh, polyunsaturated fats to the uh, allergens and gluten-type chemicals. Uh, the um, fructose catalyzes the ability to use uh, glucose efficiently and, and so uh, sucrose is, is better than even well-cooked starch at protecting the immune system uh, f from these irritants and toxins. So uh, are you still there, caller? No, okay. I so, so I hope that answered his question. I think he's taking a supplement of some type of sugar that is helping. sacrificial sugar, didn't he? So. Yeah, that it's helping to block the, the lectin. So I guess that explains that. And we did have a caller who called in to say that uh, swing sets for adults were their, their health tip for the evening. <laughs> yes, well, stress, uh, going back to. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> the stress of a way to block stress and how that affects your health so positively. Is that the end of the callers? Okay, fine. So, Pete, stress, that's another, that's probably a good point to pick up on. Um, in terms of what stress does to people physiologically, would you, would you let people know how it's affecting them badly? People always talk about stress being bad for you, but there's a very good reason. Um, yeah, uh, the only mistake that I think Hans Selye made in all of his work on, on stress, uh, he, at uh, in some places talked about uh, a limited uh, ability to adapt to stress because we are born with a certain amount of, of uh, uh, adaptive energy mm -hmm. or stress-resistant energy, but I don't think there is such a thing as, as adaptive energy. I think it's such things 
as uh, sugar, sucrose, and fructose, which uh, let us uh, deal with these uh, menacing things such as serotonin, uh, starches, uh, indigestible fibers, uh, uh, various uh, plant irritants. Uh, the um, sugars uh, are directly uh, oxidized to energy and inhibit the interfering substances such as oxidizing uh, unsaturated fats. And uh, the um, I think what the equivalent of a, a lack of adaptive energy that Selye proposed, I think what it is is that we have such a bad environment to adapt to mm. that we get worse as we adapt to bad things such as polyunsaturated fats right. and chronic excess mm-hmm. of uh, serotonin defending us against those uh, chronic irritants. So uh, I think the um, these immediate adaptive substances that in the short range protect us uh, when we have to keep adapting with these short range measures that, uh, for example, uh, serotonin increases uh, collagen production, leads progressively to fibrosis of of blood vessels, uh, liver, kidneys, uh, even the brain develops collagen under excessive uh, stress and serotonin. And so the uh, too much adaptation to a bad environment, mm-hmm. I think, is what causes aging and degeneration rather than uh, the lack of this hypothetical adaptive energy. Right. So the um, immediate response of uh, serotonin to give somebody when they're stressed, either uh, constipation or diarrhea, well, that's one way of... Uh, short-term possibly helping if it's helping clean out the bowel with diarrhea but in the long in the long range a constant exposure to the stress is what causes all these degenerative diseases you just mentioned yeah and a a high calcium diet and plenty of sugar and reducing those things that support bacterial growth uh, will keep your thyroid working and uh, keep your carbon dioxide up carbon dioxide keeps the um serotonin bound and out of trouble and so when you're stressed and make lactic acid that displaces the carbon dioxide and activates the release of serotonin and and when you're stressed you hyperventilate more easily and then you blow off more co2 so you even have less protection okay i know i know i don't mean to cut you short dr p i know there's one more caller who wants to get his question in and i know we've got six uh, five and a half minutes here before we're off the air and i want to make sure that i get enough time to uh, let people know where they can find out more information about you so let's Take the next caller and let's try to keep this down to about three and a half <laughs> minutes or four minutes at the most. You're on the air? Hello. Yeah, you know, I've uh, my first depression hit in 1964, and uh, they didn't know anything about depression back then. They put me on Elavil, which didn't do a thing. And then we tried megavitamin therapy, and that did nothing either. And this happened six months after I took some very potent Sandos LSD. And a lot of it was just the shock of realizing that everything in my life was false. And subsequently, I went through a divorce and uh, terminated uh, my employment, split up with my family, a lot of drama. And uh, 
people haven't experienced a major depression, they just can't understand. Like, I'm balanced now. I'm taking venlafaxine. And uh, that presents problems because I have prostatitis, and that irritates the prostate, so I'm also taking, uh, oh, I think it's an alpha blocker that helps deal with that. The biggest, I'm going to try to make it fast, the biggest problem dealing with depression is the whole stigma of it. It's like, I've noticed not very many people have called up and uh, expressed what they're going through with depression, and it's got to change because it is just rampant. It's it's a lot of it's stress induced. I know that mine ha- used to be called uh, chemical depression, and now it's called reactive depression. And all the chemis- chemicals you're talking about, you know, I deal with those. One of the thing I really wanted to throw out there was uh, childhood, early childhood trauma. And one of the things I went through was I took these. They're called gas treatments. You probably haven't heard of them, and they need to be brought back again. And what you do value of it, but it starts off breathing some nitrous oxide enough to put you into a bit of a hypnotic state, and then, and I don't think the doctor realized the full implications of what was going on, but then they'd switch it to a mixture of oxygen and carbon dioxide, so that would kick off the medulla thinking you're suffocating, and you would hyperventilate. You would not only hyperventilate a lot of carbon dioxide, but a lot of oxygen, and i got to tell you, it would take you out there. It was it was a real trip, a trip to hell for me. You need My to uh, bring your question to a very close point because we need to. Okay, uh, okay, yeah, well, um, balance is everything, and I think that a lot of that comes through sharing. And I've like therapy. I've been in therapy for years, and I'm you know very happy with myself. So I'm just going to hang up and listen to what you know. I've had a heart attack. That figures right into it. Yeah. And uh, okay, we've got a. We're going to have to leave it there, I'm afraid, because I don't. We just don't have enough time. It's uh, 7:57. We've got a couple of minutes to hear from Dr. Pete, uh, and also to give out his information. So, Dr. Pete, thank you again very much for joining us this evening. I don't think we've even got time to uh, ask you for your uh, views on that last caller. I'm afraid that uh, it's probably a little bit too broad a subject to wrap up in a couple of minutes uh, but for those people that have been listening to uh, Dr. Pete this evening uh, he can be found at www.raypeat.com uh, on his website there's a lot of research information and, and articles and that's spelled R-A-Y-P-E-A-T dot com dot com Okay, and you can also contact us uh, during business hours Monday through Friday at uh, 1-888-WBM-HERB. Uh, we can uh, yeah, be reached and obviously uh, can consult via Dr. Pete. Um, so, Dr. Pete, thank you so much for joining us again, and I know that the people have called and have heard you have certainly benefited, and uh, just once again, thank you so much. Okay, thank you. Thank you, um, all the listeners. Thank you for your calls, and we really appreciate your support. Yeah, and it's uh, Midsummer's Day on Tuesday, folks. So enjoy the fact that the days are still getting longer, because in a few days they'll be getting shorter. Okay, thank you so much. And support for KMUD comes in part from the Stonery in Garberville. Their second anniversary party is Friday, June 24th from noon till 7 p.m. with grilled all-beef hot dogs and drinks for lunch. 
cooked by the South Fork Booster Club. Music from 3 to 7 with Trainwrecked. There will be an all-day-long silent auction and raffles to benefit the South Fork High School's Booster Club. And support for KMUD comes in part from... Golden Dragon Medicinal Syrup, an anti-inflammatory... Anti-inflammatory, antifungal, antibacterial, antioxidant medicine made without heat or ice. Golden Dragon Medicinal Syrup is organic, edible, topical... Please remember that this program is supported by the listener members of Redwood Community Radio. If you like what you hear, please consider becoming a member of KMUD or renewing if you've already joined. A regular yearly membership is $50, but we accept any amount. Help us keep free speech alive.